Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Zoe Nicholas. And Zoe was a survivor of childhood abuse and grew up with a parent suffering from substance abuse. Her story of survival and triumph is encouraging, insightful, and uplifting to all who hear her speak. Enthusiastic, delightful, and filled with hope, Zoe helps her audience transcend past hurts and drive out of the darkness and into the light. Her memoir, Driving Into the Dark, a childhood memoir, is available on Amazon. So you're about to meet someone who has truly taken trauma and turned it into a life of meaning and purpose. Zoe Nicholas is about to share how even the darkest days can be healed through the power of love and more. Get ready. This is a powerful episode. Here's Zoe. Okay, everybody. So we have Zoe Nicholas with us today. And you know, the show is all about the betrayal of a family member, a partner, a friend, what happened, what we've done with it. And Zoe has an amazing story. And and just in the brief uh, time I, we spent chatting right before I hit the record button, she she mentioned that she hadn't tied her experience to betrayal. So it's it's interesting. I'm I'm curious myself to hear what her story is, how it it does relate to betrayal, and what she's done to turn her her biggest crisis into her greatest gift. So welcome, Zoe. Thank you. Thank you. We're so glad to have you with us. So uh, uh-huh. like I was just mentioning, you do have a profound story. I And I would love it if you could share your story uh, with everybody. Well, thank you. Um, in 2005, I had a breakdown. And I couldn't uh, remember day-to-day uh, instructions or anything. And the surgeon I was working with at the time said that um, I would never get my functional day-to-day memory back unless I started writing down what happened to me as a child. So I wrote from that point on, I wrote for two years, everything that had happened as a child, the abuse, the physical, psychological, and sexual abuse that I suffered. Um, And then I sat on it and when my adopted father was passing, I told, I promised him that I would write the book and finish it about our fabulous story of how they, they and I saved me. Uh, and uh, that's what I did. And now um, I'm talking about it. Uh, and I'll just give you an example mm-hmm. of, of things that happened. Um, my mother had been married seven times, and uh, some of the uh, stepfathers I had were truly monsters. Um, when I was uh, when I was very small, uh, my mother attempted suicides many times, uh, cutting her wrists, um, uh, taking overdoses, and I decided that. Um, I realized that mama was, was wrong. Mama was, uh, something was wrong with mama and I, it was my job to take care of her. So I became extremely, um, vigilant. I so, and how, control. yeah. So how old were you when you, as a child made that decision or realized that? Well, the first, um, realization I was six. Um, I had been left with so many people in my childhood. I got very good at, you know, meeting people and getting along, but I had an aunt that 
uh, loved to terrorize me with a vacuum cleaner, and she would chase me around the living room because it had this big red eye, scared me to death. And I'd had enough. I'd had enough of being with people that weren't my, wasn't my mama. So I remember very clearly, I put all my babies stuffed animals in a brown paper bag and I was going to find my mama and I walked about two blocks dragging this bag of babies and it ripped open and I remember vividly standing there debating well should I go and try to find my mama or do I leave my babies like mama left me I couldn't do it I could not do what mama had done to me. I couldn't do it to my babies. So I just turned around and I went back and I realized that I, I need to change my life. And when I spent a lot of time at the Admiral theater in West Seattle, that's where I grew up. Um, I watched the Doris Day movies and I dreamt that I would have a mama as wonderful as Doris Day. Uh, and I kept that thought in my mind as, um, as I suffered through domestic violence, uh, where my stepfather tried to strangle my mother, um, I was beaten once by a stepfather. And then the, the one that really got me was the night my mama let her ex-husband into my bedroom when I was 11 to touch me and fondle me. And she stood and watched. Oh, and... I'd had it. I'd had it. I, I didn't want to be anything like my mama. I needed to save myself. She tried to make me feel that I was worthless. She would um, make it so that I couldn't do my homework at night and I couldn't sleep at night because she wanted uh, me to be up and to listen to her. And uh, and sh- and sh- we didn't have uh, food security. I was uh, very skinny and very hungry. And I decided at that point I was going to find my mama, a good mama. And that's when I ran into a neighborhood uh, child called Martha. And she took me to find her uh, at her house. And there was the perfect uh, Donna Reed, um, uh, Doris Day mother. And she cooked. Yeah, and so I want to. I want to just. Yeah, and I just want to stop you here because I just want everyone to just get a, a a real clear picture. So what you're saying is you you understood that this that something was very wrong. You you felt um, compelled to go back and and grab your you know your your dolls from the you know from the bag that because you wanted to be there for them and you stayed in the house yeah. until and suffered the abuse until age eleven and and. D- but tell me, so during that time, though, you knew something you knew something was off because of the way your mom was treating you, and you saw examples of of other people in your neighborhood that didn't have that type of situation what What had you know yeah. something clearly is very wrong here uh, when she um, when she tried to um, uh, run away from my final stepfather uh, from Seattle, she got as far as um, uh, Shehalis, and that night she took an overdose of pills and collapsed on the floor, and uh, I couldn't wake her up. 
uh, this, I was nine when this happened and I, I shook her and everything and she, she w- wasn't waking up. So I got on the phone and I told the motel person that I need help. My mom is sick. They came and they, they saved her life. Um, but they put me in jail for that night. And then after I got picked up by my stepfather, um, he brought me home to West Seattle and he said over the phone in my presence that he had a little girl that he didn't want anymore. And, uh, so I was put in the youth center in downtown Seattle. And that happened to me three separate times in my life. Uh, when I was nine, when I was 11, and when I was finally at 13, I fought in the courts and I won my case against now, my mother. So, okay. So I, I want to know about the case, but, but I'm also, I'm, I'm wondering why didn't the, why didn't the authorities remove you from the situation earlier? Was it that you wanted to be there or what? Because it sounds like a few times they were involved. Why were you, why were you there? Like what, you know, I, I guess I'm just wondering what that was about. Um, I'm a, a little uh, confused as to your question. Yeah. Um, when you when you said so, it sounds like there were a few times that the authorities had gotten involved. And yes, you you still wanted well, to be home. Is that it? You wanted to live at I home? Was, I, yeah, I was very conflicted. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was nine, after the, the motel incident, they put me in the youth center and my girlfriend, Martha, who had the wonderful parents, came for me and became my foster family. So I had this wonderful mother who helped me with my sleepwalking and my food problems and my nightmares. And I knew exactly what I wanted. It was that kind of mother. And uh, after that, the court said, oh, well, your mother is fine and we'll put you back with your mother. Mm-hmm. That happened twice by the third time. And um, and uh, when I was 13, I knew that I had to leave because my sister, uh, my true half sister, Gail, who was nine years older than I, she left because she had to when she was 17 and it left me alone with my mama. That was a terrible time for me, but I watched her because she went to the authorities, got help and they placed her in a foster uh, home. So I knew because my sister did it, I knew there was a way out. So did and your I sister, used that when I was 13, right now, did your sister ever share with you the reason why she left or why she felt the need to leave? Uh, no, because it was already kind of understood that mom's behavior was, was the leading factor mm-hmm. to get out. And were you in touch she with your sister injured. during that? Yeah. And were you in touch with your sister during those years? Not much. She pretty much, uh, eschewed my mom and, and just had her own life and her husband and a child. Um, she didn't have a happy marriage and, um, so we didn't really get to meet and talk to each other until I was finally placed with the Dimmick family at 13 as a ward of the court of the state of Washington. And at that point, at age 13, I felt that my life had started. And then I had a relationship with my half-sister. And I got healed from my anger with the family that loved me. And I got involved in theater. And that just helped me immensely. And now since I wrote the book 
I've got my functional memory back and I'm back in theater and I can remember lines. And that, I tell you, it's wonderful if you can remember stuff day to day. <laughs> and, and, and so, so I, I want to go back to, let's say when you were 13, because, you know, the, the, the show is about betrayal and clearly, you know, it's easy to see how there's a betrayal of what you expected your mom to be like. And you had this expectation, you know, with, with the other mom who, who became a a foster parent to you. So it's sort of like Mm -hmm. a loss of the expectation, a loss of what you, what you felt you needed and deserved and and here was this other mom who who sort of took you in and when you say you healed let's talk about that because mm-hmm. that's that's certainly a lot to heal from what were the steps and stages that you went through to to heal and to make uh meaning and and to make peace with this um well i always had a strong faith um it's a very basic primal faith in a higher power and the foster parents that I um, loved uh, were um, he was a retired pastor and mom was a of course a um, a social worker and a uh, minister's daughter and a minister's wife uh, and so they were people that were invested in goodness mm-hmm. um, they they knew that I had terrible nightmares and when <laughs> this is one thing is really cool about them, I had such vicious nightmares that uh, they, um, mom and dad, strung a, a string from the head of my bed up the wall to the ceiling and through the ceiling through the dining room up the the central staircase to a brass bell. And if I had a nightmare, all I had to do was tug on the string and the bell would ring and mom would come down and she'd sit with me and she would tell me stories of a little girl who got to sleep on a pink cloud that floated through the blue sky and landed in a green meadow where the um, where the birds sang and, and fairies slept in the flowers. Mm. And it's, she did that over and over and over again, and my yeah. my violent nightmares abated, mm-hmm. and it was just like that. And when I was so nervous that I would rock, um, and at the table, and and I would shred my napkins, paper napkins. So at that point, Mom gave me five paper napkins so that mm-hmm. I would just work my way through that. And um, they never. They never uh, dissed me or said I was um, tarnished by my background. They loved me, and that love made me love myself. Mm-hmm. And then I, I took it from there. I just I knew what I wanted, and I wanted to be anything but like Zodi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew exactly what I didn't want. Yeah. So, so it sounds it sounds like yeah. like lo- here love truly heals. I mean, it, it just does. And, and in this case, here's an example of such loving, wonderful parents who, who just saw how, how desperately you needed this love that you just didn't get from, from your mother or from the, the, the stepfathers. Did you, did you try to contact your, you know, your, your mother again or your stepfathers in any way? Uh, I did get to see my, um, my mother, uh, when I was in college, my sister and I went to visit her uh, once, mm-hmm. and uh, 
she hadn't changed. She still was pretty much a, bio, um, a barbiturates junkie. But at that point, she still had my beloved dog that I got when I was nine. Um, Zodi got this German Shepherd and, and named him Satan because she knew that that would annoy my foster parents. Um, Zodi Zodi was your mother. That's your mother's name. Yeah, I just want to make sure yeah, everybody Zody. is clear. Okay. Yeah, she had the same name I have. You know, she gave it to me because she hated it. Um, she, she was named Mary Zoe, and so was I. So she went by Zodi. I go by Zoe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, gosh, where was I? You, you were saying about about the about the dog. It it, it sounds like oh, yeah. there were just so. How did you make sense out of out of being raised that way? I mean, how did how did you how did you come to terms with my my mother? Uh, clearly, isn't be, behaving, responding, reacting um, the way the way in my estimation a mother should. I mean, how, what did you do with that information? Like, how did you? How did you manage and work through that? Well, I just basically bided my time and kept myself as safe as I could. And then finally, uh, when I turned, uh, I was 13 and I was walking home, um, I was going to school and I heard a voice as clear as I'm sitting talking to you. And it was like a man speaking in a megaphone in my right ear. And it and that voice said, get help now. And so I walked to school. I walked into the counselor's office and I sat down and I started telling her everything that had transpired. Wow. And what did they and say? What did the counselor say? Um, she said that she would uh, follow up on that and I was to go back to my classes and I felt so relieved I'd forgotten I'd even talked to her in the morning and the afternoon a police woman came and took me to the youth center and there I stayed for two months mm -hmm. as I fought my mother she wouldn't sign relinquishment papers she wanted me to languish in the youth center Mm -hmm. uh, she didn't want me. She didn't want to sign the relinquishment papers because she she wanted me to be punished for um, going against her. Mm -hmm. Well, that's when I finally told the, uh, my um, caseworker that Zodi had brought her stephusband, I mean her my stepfather, her ex-husband, into my room to molest me repeatedly. And so uh, and that's a felony, and I didn't know it at the time. And my caseworker said, don't worry, I'll get her to sign that paper. And then that was the day that I got out. Mm -hmm. and, okay, so now... It was either her or me. Yeah. yeah. So so now it's, it's 2005, and you started writing, and then all of this mm -hmm. came out. So from the time you were 13 till 2005, was, was this just sort of on the back burner somewhere and not, not in your conscious? What was it? Was it repressed? I mean, were these memories things that you didn't recall and it was in the writing that they started coming up for you? Because you said in 2005, you started of, writing. Uh, yeah. A lot of them did come up that I had just, um, forgotten. A lot of them did come up, uh, memories. Uh, see, my mom kept a very good diary about everything. And, um, when, 
uh, I was working on the book. I got another author to help me and she read the diary and, and then we incorporated my mom's diary into what was happening with me as I was uh, living with them and getting better. Uh, and a lot of that I had forgotten. But what, what I really did was I just turned my back on everything of my past and started afresh at 13. However, I did have and I still have residual physical uh, manifestations. I, um, I have, a, uh, of course, allergies. I have um, musculoskeletal issues. I have GI issues. Uh, and I am plagued with anxiety. And I have depression, but I have, I'm doing things to take care of the depression. Um, you know, meds and I exercise and I have a wonderful husband. I've been married 40, uh, this year, 44 years. Uh, and, um, so I just, I deal with it. Um, when I have a, a physical manifestation of anxiety, like diarrhea or stomach cramps or, or, a, um, uh, a, a muscle spasm. I usually can track it back to an emotional situation. I was going to ask I you, yeah, that, is it is it tied to a specific type of trigger for you? Sometimes it's a trigger, and sometimes it's just kind of a um, general um, haze of anxiety, and I can't I can't pinpoint it to anything, but, uh, but I write in the morning, a journal, and mm -hmm. sometimes by the third page, something comes up. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I understand why this is, why I reacted this way to that situation. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, I'm a work in progress. I work on it every day, but I have the support and love of a wonderful family, my uh, adopted family, my husband's family. That's why I say I'm the luckiest person in the world because I knew what I wanted and I followed this, the, the way to get there. I made up four little steps for dealing with my problems because it's like when my when my mom decided, um, Zodi decided to go to Wenatchee when I was 11, and she decided to do that in the middle of the night. So from West Seattle to Wenatchee is a very long drive, have to go over the mountains. Well, when we were in the mountains in the middle of the night, she pulled over and had a seizure because she was completely loaded. Um, and she said, I had to drive the rest of the way. So I drove this 1952 Buick convertible. You were, and, and you were so 11? Small. I was 11. I was so small. I could barely, I had to pull myself up to the edge of the seat. So my, I could just touch the gas with oh the tip of my pink tennis shoe. And I drove, um, all the way to Wenatchee and, uh, by the time I got there, I was almost hysterical from fright, and I froze, and I bumped a bumper on a concrete block during all this construction. I'd never driven before, and I was in downtown Wenatchee traffic, so I bumped a fen fender, and Zodi got up, and she said, how can you be so stupid? Now, what am I going to tell your father? You're stupid, stupid. After I'd driven for hours and I was so scared when I was driving, I, the sweat was going down my back. I thought I was going to throw up. I could only see the road from beneath the steering wheel and above the dash. I had only three inches that I could see. I mean, how and did you, but, but, and, and how did you even know how to drive? You're 11 years old. Well, I, I watched her all the time because 
I wanted to make sure that she was on the road and going straight. And so I always watched her because I knew she wasn't reliable. I had to be responsible. Uh, Talk about um, being brainwashed. Mm. (laughs) I was responsible for mama. So uh, it didn't even dawn on me to just wait until morning and she was, you know, sober again. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I was in charge I had to take care of mama, so I drove. I was terrified. And the four steps I used from that incident, I <laughs> I followed the, I grabbed the wheel. Be proactive. Grab the wheel. I wasn't going to let a drunk driver get me killed. And then I followed the flashing white line, and it was, and I stayed on it. And, and I figured that is like me, uh, Listening to the the inner rising, the voice that says, stay on this path. Don't go there. Don't go here. Stay on this path. And I felt like that's my faith. Mm-hmm. And never stop. Never stop trying to save yourself. Don't stop. Keep going. And so that's, those are the steps that I, I, um, I believe in and and I cherish, I don't run over anybody. I cherish what I find in the people that I meet on an individual basis. And if they prove to me that they're worthy and truthful, I love them. And if not, I drop them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I can read people because I read Zodi. I mean, I had to read Zodi because mm-hmm. if not, things could go wrong and I could get hurt. And so, and so um, yeah, ab- absolutely. So how how did you go from that terrified uh, girl that who was abused to to the woman you are now? H- how did you how did you do? I mean, yes, it sounds like love absolutely made a difference in getting out of that of that environment was huge. But what were some other things that you did just to to heal physically, mentally, emotionally? <laughs> Well, I did a lot of theater, and I did have counseling. Um, I've spent a lot of time on a psychiatrist, which, in fact, the uh, psychiatrist that the court sent me to uh, said that uh, she's a nice girl and, and, and all, but she's going to be scarred for life. And that really annoyed me. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to be a victim and scarred for life. So... Uh, I just, as problems came up in my daily life, I would look at them and try to figure out what triggered that response. And that's, that's how I did it. Um, and I had the support and love of my family. I used theater as an outlet. Uh, I could rage and scream and feel so much better. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I, I, um, I went to college and I was involved in theater and that's where I met my beloved husband. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so whenever, uh, an emotional thing comes up or I have a, um, an incident, a physical thing, I always look back, okay, what, what triggered that? How can I help myself? That sort of thing. And I think it's my resilience, my resilience from when I was a little kid. I had a vision. I had a vision of how I wanted to live my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that just um, helped me throughout my life. I always wanted to improve myself and, and use the talents that the that God has given me. And uh, once I finished the book, I thought, 
well, geez, maybe I should share this with uh, with other people because I'm sure there are kids out there that are just as hurt as I was, and and I made it, and so I want them to know that it's okay. You can hurt and you can do all those things, but you can make it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and resilience is certainly, did. yeah, resilience is certainly the word that comes to mind. So, so what do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? You can make it. God doesn't make any trash. You know, you're not less because, um, because if you had this terrible upbringing, I, I can change the way, the course of my life. I can do it. And, uh, and anybody in that horrible situation, get the help you need. You can make it too. You don't have to have to be locked into that. You can change your life. Oh, that's wonderful advice. And and you heard it here, everybody. If if Zoe can uh, make, take her biggest crisis and turn it into her greatest gift, well, so can you, because this, this was a lot, a lot to heal from for sure. So Zoe, where do we go to learn more about you? Well, I, I have my website, uh, zoenicholas.com. And, uh, and I managed to put my, um, I wrote a play and I put it on um, the the inter, um, you, YouTube. It took me months to figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a play and I it's a one woman show and it's what I did. Uh, how I it, it's like a, an acting of my book and I put it together and you can watch that and I have an interview with a Jack Canfield on that YouTube. YouTube um, place. And uh, so that's how you can learn about me. And uh, I am so grateful for the time to have with you, uh, Dr. Debbie and and your, and your folks. Um, I just want them to know that uh, I care. Mm -hmm. I care. I know what it's like. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate you, you so much and what you've managed to overcome. I mean, it, when, when something so traumatic happens, uh, that's one thing, but when we can learn something from it, do something with it and then help and support people because of it. Oh, in my estimation, that is an absolute home run. That's why we're on the planet. And it sounds like that's exactly what you did. So I'm so grateful yes. uh, for for you, for your time, and for the gift that you're sharing with the people who need it. So thank you so much, So, And thank you uh, and, um, and blessings and, and I wish you great joy. <laughs> thank you. Wow, Zoe had so much to heal from, and I love how she found the outlet of theater as a way to get out all of that rage and anger that was sitting inside. Everyone has their own strategies to help them heal, and it's important to find out what will work for you. Stay in touch with Zoe by going to zoenicholas.com, and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. As Zoe said, God doesn't make any trash. It's so hard when you're on the receiving end of abuse to know your worthiness, but it's a great mantra to say to yourself when you question your own worth. And to show you how wonderful you are, I have a gift for you. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.